Welcome to Grace on Tap. This is episode 49. We're looking at the fourth commandment, part three. It is part three. Grace on Tap. It's a podcast that's devoted to discussions of the reformation of the Lutheran church, uh, Lutheran documents, Lutheran history, uh, all enjoyed over a nice cold beer. I'm Evan Gertner. And I'm and, Mike Yakely. And this is Grace on Tap. So, uh, is, this ep- is this really 49? This is episode 49. Holy so we've been doing this for 48 episodes. We started um, in the fall of 2017. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is, so we're, we are now, like he said, this is, like Evan just mentioned, this is the third episode on the fourth commandment. We, ha- we have to go over, and we've had to spend a lot of time on the fourth commandment. Partly because it is such a, it has such vast implications. It, it goes, it goes beyond. It's uh, honor thy father and mother, but it goes beyond the family, and we're going to get into that today. But it's, it goes into the civil authorities, it goes into the spiritual authorities, it goes in. It has all this. It's the the whole structure of society is based on the fourth commandment, and then the second, the second thing. Is that there's a lot of because Luther is talking a lot about the about the structure of society. The society in Luther's day was structured extremely differently than 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 the modern the uh, modern American or the mo- any modern. Uh, uh, so we society. do some translation. So we try and put give some context to it. We do, and that's the the enjoyment of a beer. It, it makes us able to think of the times that we live in now and. And maybe you'd be able to think of the times that are then. I don't know if a beer is required for that, but it helps me do it. <laughs> well, Luther drank beer, and so we're trying to sort of channel Luther through our beer. Well, we finished the last episode talking about how the fourth commandment has a, a hidden meaning to it. And that is the first kind of reading of the fourth commandment was honor your father and your mother. And this may seem so simple that one could quickly gloss over it and move on to the more difficult things of life, except that Luther says that one who glosses over anything of God's word and thinks that they already understand it are in danger. So Luther talks about this hidden meaning, and he says uh, uh, it's obedience to persons in authority who have to command and to govern. And there's this interesting linkage that Luther makes here. And he starts out by stating that parents have the ability to outsource their authority to others, like teachers or neighbors or the government. And that is, it's as as the parents look to others to carry on their authority, that that is the foundation for government. That is the foundation for for church. The, the father, uh, the parents have the responsibility to provide for the, the, the children, and, but they can't do it all themselves. Through there that comes child. a point yeah. when I open my door and my kids go out of my door and they go into the rest of the world and I have to think, can I trust this world to care for my children? If I don't have any trust in the lines of authority that God has drawn in this world, I will never let my family out of these doors. But if I have some trust in God, that he has placed people in authority in this world to care for and protect my children in the same way that I will care for and protect them, then I will send them out into the world. Yeah. So I send them to a school where I trust the, ch- the teachers. I send them out onto the street as they drive. I trust the police. I send them uh, to do business, and, and I trust the courts to protect their civil matters. And it's not just simply that I trust the teacher 
or I trust the police, or I trust the courts, or I trust the military. It's that I trust that God is at work through those people, whether they know it or not. So, it's hard to trust them, Mike. Oh, absolutely. I, I, now, my children are, are a little older. You know, they're so... So you've had those moments when it's late at night and you think, are they home yet? Yes, I have. And uh, even when they're living, when they first moved out, uh, yeah, the, those were, they, they become fewer and fewer and further and further between, you know, it's, but uh, you still have those moments where you, even as an adult, you still wonder sometimes, are they, are they okay? And so when I listen to the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, I, I'm listening to the way that God has structured people in authority and in the responsibilities of leadership to care for us in our world. So he, he has uh, this to, stay, to say about the responsibility of leadership. Hence also, they are called fathers in the scriptures as those who are in their government perform the functions of a father and should have a paternal heart toward their subordinates. So here he's describing the paternalistic character, the fatherhood character of government. So, and this is something I had, uh, I, I don't know, when, when I read that, you know, hence also they, are, also they are all called fathers in the scripture as those who are in their government perform the function. I, I guess I, I thought that it made more sense to me if government was replaced by positions of authority. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as those who are who in their positions of authority perform the functions of a father and should have a paternal heart, it, it seems like, it, and this is something, and maybe it's a context thing, uh, because in in Luther's day, people who were in positions of authority tended to be in the government, where, but it also tended to be born into it through nobility. Yeah, yeah. And so there there could be this concern that someone who is in government is there by title rather than by some sort of great skill that they may have. And so there, there becomes this uh, responsibility that those who are in positions of authority do not hold that position just by title or by the happenstance of their birth, but that when they're in that position of authority, they perform their function. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was like one of those things. It, it's this is one of those examples where like I, I'm under I'm under uh, people are in uh, positions of authority over me beyond just the government. You know, I have uh, at work. Uh, I, I have people who are who who you know pay <laughs> my boss, my boss's boss, and so forth, all the way up uh, the the stockholder, all the way up to the stockholders. You know, there's there are all these different people who are in positions of authority over me outside of the scope of government. Um, but that's, uh, you know, and I think, I think it's sort of, at least for me in the modern context, it made more sense to replace that government with, with positions of authority. And even there, it seems strange though, to think of them as father. You wouldn't necessarily no, no. imagine calling your, your boss at work father. Dear father. No, Dear no, father. no. I, I mean, <laughs> let alone my own father-in-law, I love him and care for him. But until we were married, I just kind of awkwardly made eye contact with him before I started talking rather than having to say his first name because he had been my government teacher in high school. So to move from calling him Mr. to his first name and now I get to call him father. It's a lot easier. I get to call him grandfather now. Oh, but yeah. It, but the idea of those who are in authority acting as fathers doesn't necessarily mean you have to start calling everybody in authority over your father. I mean, if you get pulled over by the police, I'm not expecting you to say, Dear Father Sheriff, <laughs> you know. 
more than the title, it's describing... They might just, put you away. <laughs> it's like, is this guy nuts? <laughs> he might be drinking something. Yeah. But it describes the responsibility of the leader and, and how the, the care and protection that those who are in authority have for those whom God has placed them in charge of. So Luther goes through and he, he establishes uh, a couple... He has three examples regarding how we should treat those who are in positions of authority. And so this is from, from the bottom up, people who are in, under authority, how they should treat the people over them. And it kind of works also in the three spheres of a state uh, of influence. And so the first one we'll look at is in the household. Why don't you read that quote from Luther about the household? Okay. Uh, it's, uh, now what a child owes to father and mother, the same owe all who are embraced in the household. Therefore, manservant and maidservants should be careful not only to be obedient to their masters and mistresses, but also to honor them as their own fathers and mothers for the ju cause just mentioned, namely that it is God's command and is pleasing to him above all other works. So now, go ahead. So this is, this, is, uh, this is actually the closest one to work, right? This is the closest where, where somebody the has... The manservant, the maidservant. They're not just your master or mistress. They are as to a father. As, as to a father. Now, and you know, back in those days... The, the maidservant, the manservant, would not call the head of the household father. He would call them, you know, master, master or, or whatever. Uh, and so that this is this is sort of, but but it has, he's he's this is the first step to expanding the meaning, this sort of hidden meaning, you know, because those people who are working in the household, uh, they would be likely to not think that this this command applies to them. And and but Luther is saying very explicitly, no, it does. This does apply, and and so and just as it applies to us in in the workplace, yeah. And and then it's not just a job; then it's a relationship that has been defined and structured by God. That I'm never just in a job; I'm always in a relationship that has some governance by God in it. Yeah, and and recognizing you know the the the, the head of the household, the boss, whatever, it, it, is a sinner. Just like the rest of us, and and imperfect, and we've mm -hmm. talked about this in previous episodes, where where you know part of that is to to uh, to to express our faith in God and God's providence to put us in these sometimes in difficult situations. So our faith in God is found in how we trust the one who is in the position of authority, um, and yet also our faith in God is found in how we challenge those who are in authority to stay accountable to God. Right, right. Uh, so it's a. It certainly is. The, 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 this we've talked quite a bit about it. We could. There's a lot more to say here, but we're going to just keep moving on a little bit here. Try and get, yeah. So we don't want to make this four episodes. No, we don't, we're not going to make it four episodes. So the three areas of examples where we can see the relationship of the people in authority to those who are in their charge or in their area of responsibility. We talked about the household servant. The next one is the example of the civil government. He says, The same also is to be said of obedience to civil government, which is all embraced in the estate of fatherhood and extends farthest of all relations. For through them, as through our parents, God gives us food, house and home, protection and security. So this is one that, you know, earlier we were talking about, you know, how... Luther extends out, um, you know, when when you when you send your children out into the world, 
that we have trust in the teachers and so forth. And I, you know, when I was first reading this, I could buy into that. Uh, but to I see government in that was hard. To, to, yeah, to see government, you know, over all of us, it was difficult for me. And it was actually when I read this particular section that with it, that list of uh, areas of protection. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, we've all seen cultures or, or countries where government has broken down. And, and truly, these are the things that, that are put at risk. Food, you know, house and home, protection and security. In the absence of government, these become the most at risk and the most um, that are easily threatened and taken away from us. Yeah. I, 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 uh, for how many, you know, all the refugees uh, from Syria for to, you know, mm-hmm. this latest iteration of the, the kind of things that are going on, uh, you know, th- those things are taken away from them because the government has broken down. And, and so you, you really can see, at least that helped me, this, is, this short list here helped me to see that Luther is right, that, this is, that, that, that we are all under the care of government as, as a father. Because a father in a, of parents in a household provide food, a home, a home and protection and security. And, and now government, for all of us, does that on a much larger scale. Uh, creating a, a system where we can all live in with those with those protections. Yeah. What expectation do I have of the government? First of all, that my that I have access to food, that I have access to protection and care for my home, my my possessions, that I'm protected and I am secure in my life, so that I am able to do the things God has called me to do. And, and if government is unable to do those things then there is grave concern about the quality of that government. Right, right. And that's, uh, and you know, some of our inner cities, people don't have that today. Yeah. The food and desert. The, yeah, and, and, and then you have, you know, where, where the, they don't feel safe in their own neighborhood. And those are terrible things. And, and the, those are areas where the government, you know, frankly, needs to do a little bit better job in one way or another. Not, you know, but, and I, I think that that's, you know, that's, that's an area where, but you can easily see where, where government provides that, and we, we rely on government for that, just as a child relies on his father or mother to provide that. And that's the metaphor, then. If, if I am expecting those things from government, why am I expecting them from government? Because I expect them to act as my father would to kept, keep me safe in my own house. I expect the government to do that. I think this is a good time for a beer break. Here we go. So we are enjoying Muskegon's own Pigeon Hill Brewing Company. The Pigeon Hill Brewing Company is found um, in Muskegon, and much of their brewing uh, equipment is actually from the Muskegon Brewing Company, which opened in 1876 on Muskegon Lake at the site of the current Coles Bakery. Uh, up until Prohibition, the Muskegon Brewing Company was widely regarded as the best brewing company in the Midwest. Maybe a self-made claim, I don't know. <laughs> uh, then the factory was sold to Grand Rapids Brewing Company. Later, uh, the factory was owned and operated by uh, Goebbels Brewing Company. Then a stroke of good fortune put Pigeon Hill Brewing Company into contact with Cole's Quality Food, the owner of the bakery that's there. And they brought Pigeon Hill Brewing into their facility, showed them the original Muskegon Brewing Company materials that were long covered by sheets of steel and said, you can have what you want as long as you can take it out. Whatever you can remove, you can have. So they took about their offer. They removed doors, elevator doors, lights, light switches, cork, insulation, hinges, and a grain mill. And some of these items are in their tap room now. Some are in storage waiting to be brought out. 
uh, and enjoyed by everyone. And it is a, a place to see. Their tap room has a 55-foot mural in it uh, of Old Muskegon. And now I've gone to their website, and they have that mural up there with little uh, pincushion dots. And you click on that, I can tell you about a business that used to be there in Muskegon. That's sort of cool. It's a place I've only enjoyed by the web. It's, Muskegon's mostly a city I've driven through to get to Ludington. Um, you and I, we, maybe... We, we, need to, we need to do it. You know, we keep talking. There's so many great breweries in Michigan. And uh, we, we really should get out more. <laughs> and that's something in all these reviews we've been doing of beer is how much uh, the beer is not only uh, understood by how it tastes, but by where it's brewed and where it's served. And the people. And the, the people who are behind it. So many of these uh, craft breweries that we've uh, learned about, you go to their website and it's filled with the faces of the employees. Not just uh, filled with some uh, stock footage. They haven't been using Getty images to fill their website. No, it no. is real people at these places. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the beer. It's a salted caramel porter. And what does it remind you of, Mike? So, so this this one reminds me when I was a when I was much younger. I, I used to sometimes drink a uh, beer in a bump, which I think is a Polish way of saying a boiler maker. Or a, uh, so you put the beer in. What makes the bump? The beer. The, you put whiskey in. So you got the beer, and then you drop a shot glass into it? Uh, or do you pour the shot into it? Either one. Either one. Uh, right. Boilermaker, we always put the beer, the shot glass into it. The, the beer in a bump, you pour it in. Uh, but it was... Uh, but this this beer actually reminds me of a dark beer with a little shot of whiskey in it. It's got that caramel uh, flavor. And, mm-hmm. and for some reason, that caramel, along with the relatively high alcohol content of 6%, uh, reminds me of that 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 beer in a when when I first had a, this beer, I, I didn't like it. This was and, and I but when I went back and I remembered the 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 beer in a bump and it brought back those memories. I, I like this beer now because the beer <laughs> had more memory to it then. Yeah, so it's a traditional porter with caramel and salt added to the brew. Then they use chocolate malt uh, to give it the flavor of chocolate that reminds you of a piece of candy. And on the the cover, it looks like um, maybe uh, a piece of salted caramel, chocolate, chewy, something, I don't know, that has (laughs) some Mickey Mouse character to it. With a bite taken out of it. um, He's got only one arm. He's got only one arm because I've already eaten the other arm. (laughs) And he looks a little frightened. (laughs) Rightfully so. Rightfully so. So Pigeon Hill Brewing Company, you can find out more at PigeonHillBrew.com. So let's. We already talked a little bit about the first. We gave Luther gives three examples of uh, how we should treat those who are in positions of authority. We the talked, household servant, the household servant, civil government. What's the third? The third one is spiritual fathers. And um, first, Luther starts out with an obligatory complaint about the Roman Catholic Church's insistence on calling priests father. Uh, Luther says, these only are called spiritual fathers who govern and guide us by the word of God. Now, Luther's complaint is not just that priests are being called father. But he says, rather, his concern is that we should only call someone a father if they are governing and guiding us by the word of God. He's making an indictment against the Roman Catholic priests of his time, who he believes have vacated that responsibility of being governed and guided by the word of God, instead are being uh, using their office to govern and guide people by tradition and the authority to the Pope. 
So Luther continues, and he says, Yet there is need that this also be urged upon the populace, that those who would be Christians are under obligation in the sight of God to esteem them worthy of double honor. And he's speaking of pastors here. Uh, of double honor who minister to their souls, that they dwell, that they deal well with them and provide for them. So there's, he really does hold the clergy in very high esteem here. That this is this is a double honor that that he's pro- providing to the to the clergy, or he's he's calling for a double honor there. And the people should then deal well with them, provide for them, make sure that they are equipped so that they can use their time to be a pastor. Right, right. So just to, uh, to we're getting down near the end uh, uh, from the section of paragraphs 164, 160 to 166. There's a couple of paragraphs of encouragement to keep this commandment, followed by some more instructions to folks in position of authority. And that gets us all the way to 174. Um, and, and so this is, he's talking about, now we've talked a little bit about from the bottom up, the way people ought to see things, uh, see people in positions of authority over them. Now Luther's going to be looking from the top down. What he, responsibility do those who have this authority in exercising their office. He says, he does not, he as in God, he does not wish to have in this office and government knaves and tyrants, nor does he assign them this honor, that they should have themselves worshipped, but they should consider that they are under obligations of obedience to God, that everyone who is in any position of authority is obedient to God. And and so then he points out two objectives for this authority. And so the first one is to earnestly and faithfully discharge their office. That's an obvious task. If you're in a job, do your job. Now, one of the things that uh, I, I guess it's it's obvious, absolutely. <laughs> but what's what isn't obvious, at least I think in the modern context, is that if you don't, if you don't earnestly and faithfully discharge your office, that's a sin. Mm-hmm. That's sinful. That's, that's he'll, he'll talk a little bit about that when we look at the, the seventh commandment about not stealing. Okay. And about how a worker is to use their time to work. And uh, you think about, say, someone who's in a job and they, you know, cheat on the time clock. That's theft. And in the same way, someone who is in a position of authority that does not earnestly and dutifully do their job, they are violating God's command and they are sinning not just against their boss and their workforce, but in fact, even God himself. And that's sort of, you know, so that's, that's the first one he has here. And then, but, and then also, because he's talking to people in positions of authority, you know, the, to earnestly and, and, uh, and faithfully discharge that office is, is a difficult thing. I mean, I'm, I'm in a position of authority at work. I, I have people reporting to me and, and that is, it's a difficult thing to manage people. I, I remember I, one of my first bosses, uh, I'm an engineer, and my, one of my first engineering bosses, he could not wait to get out of the position of managing people. He was, a, he was an engineer's engineer. He loved engineering. And he goes, oh, my goodness, I, I just can't stand all this. You know, things get so complicated when you start managing people. Mm. And, and so there's this, this, this faith, and there's a, there's a whole world <laughs> hidden in this faithfully discharging positions of authority. 
that Luther's not going to touch on because it's it's just too big and too too uh, unique to each position. But still, uh, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, and then the second one is uh, most of all to train your subjects to the to the honor and praise of God. Now this one requires maybe a little context. It assumes that maybe that the the laity are faithful. And that their faith could be decided by the faith or leader of the region. In the in the Lutheran Reformation, there's theological reformation, but in Germany and Saxony and all these other areas, there is some reforms that happen later after Luther's lifetime, and there becomes this tradition that the religion of the prince becomes the religion of the people of his land. And so there you could see the responsibility of the one who is an authority to guide the faith of the people in his land. That's almost a theocracy. That sounds strange to us today. Yeah. In today's day and age, we, we have the First Amendment. Uh, and and you know, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise of. Uh, uh, so there's an independence of conscience in the First Amendment that does not have any expectation that the religion of the president is the religion of the whole nation. There's no expectation for that. Yeah, this this concept of uh, the, the the need for government to uh, train people to honor and praise God has been replaced by the requirement to not get in the way of people honoring and praising God due to the recognition that, that we have really not been able to agree on what it means to honor and praise God. On... On the vertical axis. Yeah, and I suppose the First Amendment is not, though, just rooted in our Constitution because we couldn't come to some sort of agreement, but rather there's this understanding that every individual's conscience is their own and is not in the office of anybody in authority to tell someone else what to believe. Yeah, right. That's kind of the structure of our Constitution. So I was thinking, what is the, the best construction on this this section by Luther, that most of all, that the leader should train their subjects to honor and praise God. And you and I immediately quickly thought to the vertical realm of relationship, that vertical line between us and God. And that is Luther saying that the leader has a responsibility to get everybody in alignment in that vertical relationship to God. Could it be also, though, instead, that he's saying that the leader has a responsibility to equip everybody in the horizontal realm, that is their horizontal relationships to their neighbor, that the that the leader has the responsibility to make sure that everyone can use their gifts. Now, as a Christian, I would say to use their gifts to the glory of God. But the responsibility of the leader in this kind of first article, first order of relationship is that I believe that God has made us in this world and provides and protects and cares for this world through the gifts that he gives to people. So it's, it's uh, the, the, the try, I'll try and put it a little different way make sure i understand what you're saying is that that the the responsibility of the leader is to free people to love their neighbor by you know and, that, and like you said what what we would do as christians we would say for the glory of god but what they if they're not christians if they're atheists yeah they still have a right they still have it's up to the leader to make sure that people are free to do that, to, to serve and love their neighbor. I suppose this also could go back to that earlier section where you had that quote from Luther that God hasn't given us children as uh, for our amusement. That's actually the next section. Oh, we didn't get to that yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix that. But that this idea that... Uh, I think what I hear in this is Luther is asking that someone who is in authority 
the discharge of your office is found in how you equip people to use their gifts. Sort of like that next section where we do say, you know, where Luther says, God has not given us children for our amusement and God has not given us servants so that we can employ them as a cow or an ass. It's, right. It's that same thing that you're, you know, that you just said. It's, it's, that's the, that's the purpose, even in a secular world that we, we are to look at the people who are under our authority that, that they're their own person, that they're in my authority. I discharge my office, but my office is not to then manipulate and move them to how I want. My office is discharged in how they are equipped by my role to then do their role. Right. Or, right. we, you know, thinking about us as fathers of children and the dreams and expectations we have for our kids, um, I could have every expectation that my kid will grow up to be fill in the blank. But in the end, I have to trust that God has given them the gifts that he has given to them and that they have to, they're going to figure that out as I launch them. I'm going to launch them into the career that God has gifted them for, not the one that I've designed them for. I think Luther can write about this somewhat because of the struggle he had with his own father, Hans. Hans had bought Luther a bunch of textbooks to go to school to become a lawyer for Hans Luther's mining company. Luther sells his law books and becomes a, a monk, a priest, a reformer. Not necessarily what Luther had in mind. I, I'm sure. I'm sure Hans yeah. was was a little discouraged, by, <laughs> a little frustrated by Luther's, yeah. and I can you can totally understand that. You know, as a father, if I in the modern era, because books were expensive. Books were ridiculously expensive back. Well, then. even your own children, uh, you if, know, they go to college. And, and you set them up and they change majors. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they go and, and they, they get a degree. At, you spend all that money. You spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And they say, you know what? I don't feel like doing that. You yeah. know? Uh, so, yeah, that, that would be a, tough, that'd be a tough pill to swallow. And in a father, I can't then say, I'm your father. You have to do what I tell. Rather, I'm your father. I have to make sure you are in a spot where you can give glory to God by using your gifts. Right. Right. That's different. That's and that's, so this fits into that fourth commandment and the responsibility of those who are in authority to discharge their office is not to make everybody do what they want, but rather use my gifts so that others are equipped to use their gifts. So the next section here, Luther starts talking about, he has this, I thought, an interesting quote. He says, uh, for if we wish to have excellent and apt persons, both for civil and ecclesiastical government, we must spare no diligence, time, or cost in teaching and educating our children that they may serve God and the world. So basically the way I interpret that is that he's saying, listen, if you want to complain about the government or you want to complain about the church, why don't you start by teaching your kids well? Yeah, this is a really long view for how reform of government can take place. Yeah. It's, it's not that I don't like the government today, tomorrow they're going to change. It's more like I don't like the government, so I'm going to raise my children in a way that they are equipped then to get a different government in place. Yeah. It's a long view. I don't know if I have that kind of patience, but it is this reminder that every generation is equipping the next generation. And every that, change that we want now comes about because of the change we're bringing to our children right now. And that's the, that is a long view, and, and we I don't know 
how they were in, in Luther's day, but we certainly don't have that kind of patience today. It's, or it's very rare to have that kind of patience today. And then he has another line. Uh, maybe it's a throwaway line, but it points to Martin Luther's rich theology of work. His confidence that the work that we are at work doing in our households, in society, and in our church can make a difference. He says, if they are talented, this is about your children now, if they are talented, have them learn and study something that they may be employed for whatever need there is, to have them instructed and trained in a liberal education that men may be able to have their aid in government and in whatever is necessary. Have good schools. Have good opportunities for uh, people to be equipped to do the work that they are later going to be called to do. And, and this is basically looking at uh, when... when you know, taking the gifts that God has given us, whether it's intelligence yeah. or whatever skill we might have, and and a parent should be looking at that child and not looking to guide them with their with their own will, but rather to look at what gifts God has given that child and see where those gifts are leading that child. And this is a great advocacy for um, a liberal arts education because he makes the point, don't just train your children for a technical skill that helps protect your house so that you can buy the goods and services you need for your house. But he says, train them in a, lib a liberal education that they will be equipped to aid in government and whatever is necessary. When we think of school, we're not thinking of just skills that are learned for some sort of technical job. We're thinking of how we train people so that they can aid in government, aid in society. Yeah. That's a real advocacy for uh, the humanities there. It, it is. It is. Now, in those days, uh, in Luther's days, they, you know, you would, if you, if you had some, if you were going to work with your hands or have some sort of skill like that, you'd be in, in an apprenticeship. So the final section is just a summary of the importance of the fourth commandment and a couple of good quotes here. He says, here consider now what deadly injury you are doing if you, are, if you be negligent and fail on your part to bring up your child to usefulness and piety and how you bring upon yourself all sin and wrath, thus calling just earning hell by your own children, even though you be otherwise pious and holy. And then he says, and because this is disregarded, God so fearfully punishes the world that there is no discipline, government, or peace of which we all complain, but do not see that it is our fault. And we are our own problem. And I, it's, it's tough to argue with that, that you know, we as, as a culture fail to raise our children. And uh, what's, what's the term he uses here? Uh, you earn hell through your own children, even though you are otherwise... Pious and holy, you have brought hell into your life by the fact that you have you've missed your children. Yeah, well, typical Luther, a little, little, little harsh, a little harsh. <laughs> Maybe a little forgiveness here. There is uh, forgiveness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I need it. <laughs> this ends our episode on the fourth commandment. We appreciate uh, the time you've spent with us as we read through Luther's large catechism. In the fourth commandment, our next episode, we will be looking at the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. You are invited to visit graceontap-podcast.com. There you will find every episode and also provide in the comments an area for discussion and dialogue on everything we talk about. Very good. Prost. Prost. <laughs>